2: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome
0: to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here too in spirit, and that makes this Stuff You Should Know. Uh... Chuck's
3: favorite food edition.
0: Yeah. My all time favorite food. This is, I don't blame you, Chuck. Like, I i love fried chicken, but I love it even more after researching this. I, I've just got this whole must-have attitude. And I think that that brings up an important point that we should lead with, which is if you are vegan, you should probably skip this episode because yeah. you're not going to be vegan by the end of it, I'll tell you that <laughs> much.
3: Yeah, you know, people ask the favorite food question. You get that a lot in your life. And I guess I sort of went back and forth over the years with different things, but it's fried chicken. It mm-hmm. is fried chicken, full stop. Okay,
0: well then, are you are, I'm guessing, something of an expert for Atlanta fried chicken. Best fried chicken in Atlanta? Oh, man. Sorry to put you on the spot. I, Do you want to come back to it at the end of the episode? Well,
3: no, I was afraid you would ask me what, like, what my favorite of all time was or something. Um, mm-hmm. That's really hard because because there's so many kind of small variations, and I love— mm. Fried chicken so much, I love so many different kinds mm-hmm. that I don't know that I could say that I've ever had it like put down my fork, and been like, or my fingers really, and said this is hands down like the best fried chicken I've ever had. I've said this is some of the best fried chicken I've ever had a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say this, and it is a little controversial if you live in the South mm-hmm. to take a grocery store allegiance like this, but Publix is known for their fried chicken. I don't like it. I like, Kro- I, I like Kroger's fried chicken better,
0: much I, better. I've never had Kroger's fried chicken, but I don't like Publix's fried chicken either. It, it's not good. It's too bready for
3: me, and I don't know if it's my local Publix, uh, but it always tastes like, it's, like the oil is old. Mm-hmm. Acrid. Yeah, man. It just doesn't do it. I love Kroger's fried chicken. I'm a big fan of minimal breading. Let that chicken skin shine. <laughs> right. And uh, sort of a dry fry is more my, my jam. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. I have had the experience of putting my fork down, actually my fingers down, and saying, like, that was the best fried chicken I've ever had Let's in my hear life. It, it was, um, remember that, that restaurant in Decatur Watershed? Oh, sure. So the head chef was Scott Peacock, mm-hmm. and he and his mentor, Edna Lewis, came up with this fried chicken recipe that they used to serve at at Watershed. It's very famous. It was, I mean, I've never had anything even approaching it. And I've had really good fried chicken too. I would say second is probably colonnade Mm. over on Cheshire Bridge. Really good. Yeah, But this was, it, it was just an entirely different level. And you can find the recipe online really easily. And it's pretty, it's pretty hashtag basic, but... Something about it all comes together mm-hmm. and makes it just just astoundingly good. It's so good, yeah. It's um, just so good, Chuck.
3: I think Emily uh, Sailors from Indigo Girls was right co-owner or owner of Watershed for a while. May still be. Yeah. I don't know.
0: No, she sold it.
3: Okay, I think yeah. Uh, and they
0: moved, and Scott Peacock moved on, and everything. It was it was like the Beatles for a second.
3: Uh, I am also going to caveat this and shout out my grandmother Bryant. Uh, opal bryant's fried chicken was really my favorite (laughs) i haven't had it you know she died at the age of 101 uh about eight years ago Mm -hmm. but she hadn't been cooking for a while either so it's been since i was probably in my 20s since i had opal's no and hers was and i'm a big fan of this preparation uh not deep fried or pressure fried but skillet fried Mm-hmm. Uh, which is when you have a cast iron skillet mm-hmm. and you're, you know, you're flipping the chicken, you're letting it fry and flipping the chicken uh, because it's not completely covered in oil. Uh, and she also used just whatever grease was in the big jar on her stovetop. Um, mm. she would just throw all the grease in there from everything she ever cooked. Oh man, I'll bet that was so and, good. it would harden it or, you know, uh, congeal into this lardy oh my God. jar of goodness. So she would just kind of just slop whatever that was. Um, so wow. it's probably some bacon grease in there. I'll, I'll, not probably, most definitely, yeah, um, country ham stuff. There was all kinds of of oh, meaty congealed fat in there.
0: Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> but her stuff was so good. So, um, yeah. So we're talking fried chicken. We could just keep doing this if you want. I know. We should start but, a food show maybe when uh, we eventually retire. If we start a food show, we're naming it Opal Bryant's Fried Chicken. <laughs> Okay. All right. Great. Okay. Or if we ever open a restaurant. Okay. okay. That should Ooh. be the name. Let's talk. So, yeah, we'll do a food show sometime. Some and this will be one of those things where we can be like, and our fried chicken episode that we did years back was really good, too. Mm-hmm. This is going to be like that kind of episode. So, we're talking fried chicken. And it's one of those things where everyone associates the the dish with the American South. And for good reason. That's kind of where it, it caught its... Um, it, it was established in the way that we understand it today, which is, from what I can tell, bone-in chicken pieces mm-hmm. breaded and fried in oil. Mm-hmm. And that is fried chicken. That's American, Southern American fried chicken. That's what purists will tell you. Anything different is, is not technically fried chicken. But the American South is kind of where it got its start. But it dates back even further, further than that. And even weirder it seems like it might have come from a specific place in Europe originally, too.
3: Yeah, Scotland.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: if you can believe that, uh, there are appearances. I mean, people have been uh, being people have been eating chickens for a long time.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, you can find recipes in books from the 18th century for fried chicken. Uh, there was one in 1736. Uh, there was one in 1747, where it's you know clearly dipped in flour fried in some kind of lard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seemed like the Scots are the ones who started frying it. And I looked up this up in a lot of places and kind of saw the same thing. Uh, you know, the Brits didn't really care that much about eating things that tasted good. So they would <laughs> boil or bake their chicken. A baked chicken mm-hmm. can be good, but sure. boiled chicken can never be good. Uh, and the Scots said, no, we'll fry it. And so they started <laughs> frying it up in lard and were really on to something, as it turned out.
0: Yeah, and the reason why at least one food historian, is, is this is their theory, but the reason why it kind of has legs is that a lot of the <laughs> Scots and <laughs> Scots-Irish um, colonists who came to the United States, um, they owned uh, slaves and people, and they think that the Scots taught their slaves to cook this for them, and that's where the origination of um, Black American Southerners having this, um, like, being the kind of the the place where fried chicken originated. That's where they think that it probably came from, via well, Scotland.
3: Yeah, and I, I mean, I think what we can say for sure is that's where it was perfected, where mm-hmm. these enslaved women uh, they spiced it in such a way because Scotland and, and you know, in the UK, like, they're not known for their uh, for their They're doing much better now, but they weren't known for the most flavorful um, spiced food. So it was even though they were frying chicken, it was it was known as a little more bland until they got to the American South and these women started spicing it right. And that's where it became this this really, really scrumptious and delicious food that we know today uh, brought over from Scotland, but perfected in the American South.
0: Yeah, I think the theory, the other theory that was, you know, long held is that uh, it was brought over by um, West African slaves Uh to America. Um, But I think people have done investigations around West Africa and there isn't a fried chicken dish that um, they would fry their chicken lightly over there, Uh but then they would braise it for the rest of the time. And I think the Brits would do that too. Not the same. Um, no, it isn't the same. So, they actually do think it kind of came from Scotland, but yes, perfected by um, enslaved cook women in the American South. And there's mentions of it, too, I think, dating back to the 17th century. So, it is an all-American dish for sure.
3: Yeah, it was um, It was a dish that was a little more of a treat at the time, at least preceding the Civil War. Uh, it was very labor-intensive to get these chickens and to pluck the chickens and prepare them and... Cut them up, and it wasn't like just like throwing a whole plucked chicken into a pot kind of thing. Right. Uh, there was no air conditioning, obviously. So like, you know, laboring over a hot stove all day and hot grease. It was just a lot to undertake. So it was a little more of a, of a fancy meal to have, um, like on the 4th of July, maybe, or a big like birthday celebration. And even though uh, these women, these enslaved women were perfecting this dish, uh, th- they, their family wasn't really allowed to eat it that much mm-hmm. um, until they were able to raise their own chickens. Um, there were laws, or I don't know about laws per se, but um, enslaved people weren't allowed to own cattle. They weren't allowed to own pigs. But chickens were sort of seen as not very significant enough to restrict at the time. Mm-hmm. Right. So they let enslaved people you know, own and raise chickens, uh, some of which they would actually, at the plantation, buy from them to eat.
0: Yeah, I think Monticello bought um, their chickens from their uh, enslaved people working there.
3: Yeah, I think you're right.
0: So um, there was a, a upshot, or there was a, a upside of uh, the um, black women that were cooking this under duress at the time, who learned to perfect this dish, was that after um, emancipation. When the Jim Crow South started, they were – a lot of them were able to support themselves by selling fried chicken uh, because they were the only ones who knew how to make it correctly. And so there were – there uh, there was a um, a uh, a woman, uh, American studies scholar named Psyche Williams Forsen who wrote a book uh, basically said this chicken made this house or this house ma- was made by chicken.
3: Yeah, it was called Building Houses Out of Chicken Legs, colon, right. uh, Black Women, Food, and Power. Uh, And I do want to shout her out, too, because she has a new book out this year that looks great. It seems like she really explores um, sort of the diaspora and how that affected foods that black people ended up eating sort of around Mm -hmm. the world, especially Mm -hmm. in America. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's a new one called Eating While Black, uh, Food, Shaming, and Race in America that just came out this year. Uh, And I saw a couple of interviews with her. She's just – it's amazing stuff that she's writing.
0: Right on. So one of the things um, that she explored were these um, women called waiter carriers who would show up along the tracks at railroad stops. Um, You know, and this was a time like when railroads had really just kind of started up and you couldn't really get food anywhere on these cars. Dining cars hadn't been invented yet. So these, um, these black women who were called waiter carriers would show up with pies or coffee or fresh picked berries or fried chicken and would sell them, like hand them to the customers on the train through the windows. I think they sold chicken breasts for like 25 cents a piece and mm. other uh, like, like uh, drumsticks and thighs for I think five cents a piece, something like that. And there's a specific town called Gordonsville, Virginia, which became known as the chicken, fried chicken capital of the world. And apparently some people would go out of their way to stop in Gordonsville, Virginia on their train journey so that they could buy the fried chicken there.
3: Yeah, it was it, uh it was a regional hub in Gordonsville at the time and uh they still have a uh pretty robust fried chicken festival I think in October.
0: Oh man, we got to go. <laughs> I
3: think we missed it this year. Uh but I saw them refer to themselves as the chicken leg center of the universe. Oh wow. Which is another fun name. Uh but we should also point out while this great sort of entrepreneurial spirit was being born uh after emancipation uh, a lot of these women were also Harassed and robbed and things like that. So, you know, they were they were doing the best they could to make a living, but it still wasn't as above board as it should have been, of course.
0: Gotcha. So um, they were eventually, um, I guess, outlawed by proxy after America started developing like food safety laws. They're like, you can't do that anymore. We're going to start regulating vendors. And then also dining cars came along, and that really kind of did the – that was the death knell of yeah, it. Yeah, forget this
3: amazing fried chicken being right. handed to you through a window for a quarter. Come eat in the dining car.
0: We're, we're featuring British boiled chicken right. for dinner tonight. <laughs> it's, it's probably right. So um, you said something about how these women were robbed and exploited. And, you know, there's a, there's a through line through a lot of American history where um, a lot of black culture um, – gets kind of taken over by white culture and that the transfer is lost to history or erased or blurred or people just ignore it. Mm -hmm. So fried chicken is actually one of those um, things because if you ask like a lot of Americans on the street who invented fried chicken, I would guess a significant portion of them are going to identify Colonel Sanders as the person who did. And he definitely did not. He wasn't even the first fried chicken restaurateur, but he was part of a... A tradition where while he wasn't stealing directly from the the labor, the intellectual property, you could say, of um, black women, um, he definitely benefited from it big time. There were people who were just directly exploiting it. And there was a a restaurant chain in Salt Lake City that was opened in 1925, Chuck.
3: Yeah, this is one of, you know, sort of the shameful uh, parts of our uh, uh, racism in America. This is in the 1920s. Uh, and it was, you know, it was just a time when you had, like, straight-up racist iconography on mainstream restaurant chains. Uh, and that was the case with the the Coon Chicken Inn had racist caric- uh, caricatures on the logo. And it was in Birth of a Nation, you know. It was like if it makes an appearance in Birth of a Nation, that's like mm-hmm. the, the ultimate stamp of racism of this sort of stereotype uh, of what this, you know, this great food that was invented – uh, by these enslaved people was then turned on them and used uh, against them as sort of a stereotype uh, of, of whatever they wanted to say, what they thought black people were at the time.
0: Right, which was basically the, the goal was to debase and demean black people so that they wouldn't enjoy full citizenship either politically Legally or culturally. And it was, we talked about it in our watermelon episode because I mean, like everybody loved watermelons and everybody loved fried chicken. But the way that the white society would point to it to kind of degrade right. the black society was, well, we all love it, but black people really love it. They're really crazy for watermelon. They're really crazy for fried chicken. They'll do anything for it. And it just had this kind of, um, this, this, this purpose and this goal and successfully of, of demeaning them making them seem less of, of that even stuff that everybody enjoyed they enjoyed it differently they were different they were less somehow and, right. and you know that was apparently the fried chicken thing in particular was was um, first sourced in Birth of a Nation
3: Alright so let's take a break and uh, let's talk about some of the, the more fun parts of Fried Chicken how about that? Okay
1: Apple Podcasts or whatever you
0: get your podcasts. Stuxnet. Who? Stuxnet. Say it almost, Stuxnet. I don't know. What that you is. know it's Stuxnet. Is, is that in this? Stuxnet. Stuxnet. It's a great name. Yeah, That's the name of it. <laughs> I know. It's a great name. Alright. Stuxnet with an <laughs> with an X.
3: Alright. So uh, fried chicken. Well, let's talk about chicken in general. Um it wasn't really the the on the menu of every American uh, who eats meat like it is today. Uh, chicken was was a distant third to pork and beef for most of our history, actually. Um, There's some stats here. The National Chicken Council, which mm-hmm. is pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1960, Americans uh, ate 28 pounds of chicken per capita. And just a few years ago in 2019, that number was at 97 pounds, uh, whereas red meat went from 133 to 112. So... You know, there's there's been a big shift in um, or a shift in the kinds of meats that Americans eat. Uh, And, you know, chicken farming wasn't as big as beef and pig farming for a long, long time. It was sort of a mom and pop thing until Mm -hmm. they realized that people really love chicken and we can fortify them with antibiotics and we can get those breasts unnaturally plump. And get, build these huge barns to raise them in. And basically, like, hey, we can factory farm chickens just like we can cows and pigs.
0: Yeah. So that, that really boosted chicken consumption. And by the way, that 97 pounds of chicken that Americans ate in 2019, mm-hmm. I think it equaled about 11 billion birds. Wow. Um, so the other thing that happened in addition to cheap, widely available chicken um, were new cooking techniques. And the the big cooking technique that really turned fried chicken from something that took like up to twenty minutes to cook correctly um, to something that you could sell as fast food where it was just using pressure cookers. So they would fry the chicken in a pressure cooker and still. People still do it today. And the pressure would change. It would lower the boiling point of the oil. So the oil could get hotter, and the chicken would cook faster. And if you did it right, if you breaded it right, if you used the right kind of breading, if you did, you know, brined your chicken and all that first, then you could cook this stuff really fast, and it would come out really good.
3: Yeah. So now Colonel Sanders comes into the picture. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't talk about fried chicken without talking about Harland Sanders uh and he got a sort of a late start as far as his um chicken business goes Uh, at the age of 40 was Mm -hmm. when he started serving chicken in front of the service station he owned in Corbin Kentucky Uh, then opened up a cafe Sanders Cafe across the street uh, serving that skillet fried chicken that I love so much Mm -hmm. and then uh 1939 so I guess he was 49 years old he finally develops this 11, secret 11 herbs and spice recipe, right. cooking in the pressure cooker. Uh, the governor gave him his, uh, his, his fake colonelship. Uh, he, was, he was not an army man. The colonelship was bestowed upon him mm-hmm. in an honorary fashion by the governor of Kentucky. And that's when he started dressing up like old Colonel Sanders in his white suit and his bolo tie mm-hmm. and his little white goatee. <laughs> and and a character was all of a sudden born. He became more than a man. I read a little bit about him. Apparently he had a he was known for two things, had a really 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 foul mouth. Yeah. And was uh, a bit handsy, shall we say. Oh, really? Yeah, they they described him as a uh, having a uh insatiable sexual appetite and because it was, you know, the <laughs> 1930s and 40s would kind of come into a room and just be like, "Hey, hey, who can I grab onto?" That kind of thing.
0: Wow. Yeah. I, I did not know that part.
3: Yeah, that was... that was the,
0: That's the legend. I, I have a, um, a uh, Colonel Sanders story. Ooh, let's hear it. I was driving down the road one day, South Metro Atlanta, and I um, was driving alongside a Buick, and the Buick had a vanity license plate, which ties into our license plate episode, by the <laughs> way, mm-hmm. and it said KFC-COL, and in the back... Uh, the I, don't, I, I never know what that thing's called, but the back panel behind the back seat between that and the window, mm-hmm. whatever that, like the rear dashboard, I guess, there was a Colonel Sanders bobblehead. And as I pulled up closer and closer to the driver, I realized I was looking at the man who played Colonel Sanders oh. throughout the 80s and 90s. <laughs> and he, I swear to God, was wearing a white suit uh-huh. and a black string tie. <laughs> well, and he was driving down the road in the 21st century in America. Yeah, I think it said Bolo tie.
3: It's that string tie. It's a little different.
0: Okay, uh, close enough. I appreciate, he, but the he was the TV on. actor. Yes, he okay. was the the yeah Colonel Sanders was long dead by this time. This is oh, the sure. guy who played Colonel Sanders in all the ads for yes, decades. Of course, of course. I mean, I guess it was. I didn't like you know run him off the road and interview him. But this was, right. there's just <laughs> no way it wasn't him. It was him. I could tell you by looking at him, and then you know the the other kind of evidence, the vanity plate and the bobblehead, oh, sure. really really kind of teared it for me
3: uh my one favorite thing that they've done recently in the past few years is when they started just casting all the different people to play colonel sanders
0: oh that was great kind of yeah, like wasn't amy sedaris one once
3: <laughs> was she i, don't I know. think
0: she was
3: i know i didn't see them all but uh i thought that was a pretty pretty clever little twist
0: so oh, by the way speaking of amy sedaris this is going to come out long after this but do you know um leslie jordan
3: yeah i He just passed away yesterday. I'm super, super gutted about this.
0: Yeah, he was like just this great guy. If you knew him on Instagram, he was really fun and funny and all that. One of my
3: favorite Instagram accounts.
0: Some of the um, some of the, like interviews that I'm seeing of him now, and one of them was posted by Amy Sedaris, where he's talking about how like he wanted to live a life of service yeah. because you know taking care of other people like brings you out of yourself. And he was just this great guy. The best. Um, and if you if you aren't familiar with him, go look up his Instagram account. And the it, I didn't realize it at the time, but now I do. That the world like really lost somebody special. Yeah. So R.I.P. Um, Leslie Jordan.
3: Yeah, I had seen him on uh like Will and Grace and other stuff like that, but mm-hmm. um his his Instagram account is where I just fell in love with the guy. Yeah, for sure. Hey Hunker Downers, he was he was great and I was very very sad to learn about that cuz I was just like I was watching him on Instagram like the day before. Oh yeah. Uh like hanging the out The Putin thing? Dave Hill, well, I saw that too and uh the other tribute is very good to read is uh Meghan she's Doesn't post on Instagram much, but hers was very, very sweet and sad.
0: Yeah, I will check that out. All
3: right, uh, back to the colonel, yeah?
0: Sure. (laughs)
3: Uh, He sold the brand in 1964 uh, for, imagine, a boatload of money. And now it's a part of Yum Brands, one of those uh, humongous, uh, nebulous sort of food corporations that owns lots of fast food restaurants. Mm Mm-hmm. And it went from Kentucky Fried Chicken officially to KFC in 91, uh, apparently because the state of Kentucky said, you know what, there's a lot of brands using our name. Why don't we trademark the name Kentucky so we can make a little money off this? And so KFC said, we'll just go by KFC then.
0: Yep. So, um, which is hilarious that Kentucky did that. I wonder how much money they made from it. I don't know. Or I wonder if all the brands just said, all right, we're just K-whatever. Right. It really harmed, though, uh, Kentucky black powder and musket ink, I think, the hardest. At any rate, um, the, I saw that th- when Colonel Sanders sold Kentucky Fried Chicken in 1964, he immediately started trash-talking it, oh, trying really? to open his own restaurant. They moved to block him from doing that. He sued them for, like, $100 million. They gave him, like, a $1 million and let him open the restaurant in exchange for him to just stop talking trash about KFC <laughs> from that point on. Wow. Yeah, he was quite a character. And also, I mean, like, the fact that he was considered a possible running mate for— George Wallace, the pro-segregationist presidential candidate, yeah. the fact that he was kind of like, you know, a throwback to the antebellum South with his ties and his accent and all that. Sure, A lot of people just presume he was racist. Um, and when Papa John's um, uh, had that scandal where yeah, Papa yeah. John himself like uh, used that racial slur, um, he he tried to, say like well, colonel sanders used to say that who cares and apparently colonel sanders family came out swinging oh really and we're like they called papa john a, a weasel and basically a scumbag and said like our I, grandfather or great-grandfather or whoever like did not use racial slurs he attended black church sometimes That's like interesting he was right. not he was many things but he was not a racist so you shut your mouth papa john and uh, <laughs> I, I guess it worked
3: uh Popeyes came along to
0: rival KFC
3: is probably <laughs> yeah we're talking about fried chicken its <laughs> rival uh Popeyes was founded and it's Popeyes without an apostrophe by the way the joke mm-hmm. was from founder Alvin Copeland uh senior uh, so that he was so poor he couldn't afford the apostrophe which is a great joke <laughs> mm-hmm. uh but that was a Louisiana chain opened in 1972 as chicken on the run uh people were like eh, it's really not so great so he he spiced it up a little bit and went to a more New Orleans-style chicken and changed it to Popeye's, named after the cartoon character? No, named after Popeye Doyle, Gene Hackman's character in The French Connection.
0: Fact of the podcast.
3: That's the weirdest fact I could ever imagine.
0: I mean, that is a that is a trivia question right there for sure.
3: Oh, yeah, because you're setting people up because everyone's going to say it's Popeye's because mm-hmm. – they're now using him as the logo, like Popeye, not Gene Hackman and his little bowler hat or whatever. <laughs> right.
0: But you'd have to word it just so because you'd spook some people and be like, yeah. What that's too easy a question, sure. what's really here? <laughs> right. You'd have to word it just right. So yeah, yeah. but yeah, Copeland was a he was a character as well. Um, I didn't read that he was handsy or anything like that. Um, he raced speedboats. Uh, he loved spending money. He was a profligate spender, and he was not at all ashamed or embarrassed about it. Um, and one of the things he was well-known for in New Orleans was um, his Christmas displays outside his home. And they were so elaborate, they drew so many people that, like, like sheriff's deputies had to direct traffic in the area around it because people would just park and stop and go look at them. So he was that kind of guy. And, I, I mean, there's a special place in the universe for... People who spend you know freely on Christmas mm-hmm. decorations outside of their house so much so that it attracts like local townsfolk who come and like get the Christmas spirit from that kind of thing. I think those are special kind of people.
3: Agreed. I love it. Uh, Popeye's was eventually bought out uh, again by one of these conglomerates uh, called Restaurant Brands International. Mm-hmm. Uh, really great creative name there. Uh, And, you know, there are KFCs all over the world. Um, There are KFC knockoffs all over the world. (laughs) I know. Uh, The SFC in Iran, uh, Superstar Fried Chicken. Uh And PFC, Perfect Fried Chicken in London, which I looked up to see how closely they were ripping them off. And the PFC, the the font is definitely the same font, Uh uh,
0: but the logos and stuff look different. Okay. Colonel Sanders has, like, blonde hair. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Speak, speaking of Colonel Sanders' appearance, apparently KFC's most profitable nation is um, China. Big the, time. Yes. The people in China since 1987 have gone berserk for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, again, it's more profitable in China than in the U.S. Um, the the offerings are a little bit different. Um, like, there is fried chicken, but it's not the most popular menu item. They have, you know, like re- regional dishes as well, and I think those are a little more popular. But one of the reasons um, I saw floated for why uh, it, Kentucky Fried Chicken is so popular in China is that Colonel Sanders vaguely resembles Confucius and that there's <laughs> like an affinity for him there. Oh, wow.
3: Um It is double – it's the biggest, most popular fast food in China, double the size of McDonald's Mm -hmm. as far as number of stores. And I think when they were first built in the 80s, it was a little bit of a luxurious thing where um, there was more room. The restaurants were really clean, and it was sort of contrasted with, like, street vendor food as a place where you can go and take your family that's a little nicer. Gotcha. Uh, And I did look up the menu items. You know, they sell congee and egg tarts. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's something called a dragon twister, which I really – There's there's a cool article where this food writer went there and ate a bunch of stuff and wrote about it. But uh, the dragon twister sort of looks like, uh, you know when they'll take Peking duck and wrap it in like a a thin pancake, almost like a roll Uh with uh, cucumber and spring onion and stuff? Right. That's what the dragon twister is, except it's um, it looks like a a chicken – not finger, yeah, like a chicken finger.
0: Right, it's a, f- a chicken finger wrapped in a chicken breast. That's what I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's like right. the it's the double down. It's
3: that thin pancake, but it does have the sweet bean sauce and cucumber and spring onion. It look, looks really Man,
0: good. I want one of those. If we have any listeners in China, please mail us if <laughs> one. Right, just drop ship it. Uh, and then also in Japan, KFC is huge. Not as huge as as it is in China, but it's um, become a uh, national um, Christmas tradition. KFC is oh, really? the traditional Christmas dinner in Japan. I think you told me that before. I love that. Yeah, I think it was in a Christmas episode once.
3: Yeah, that's good stuff.
0: And then Korea, I believe they do not have. Well, they do have KFC, but they took the KFC methods and turned it into something else, which is Korean fried chicken. Oh. Which apparently, um, if you if you like fried chicken. Mm-hmm. You're going to like Korean fried chicken. And there's there's no reason you have to choose. You can like them both because uh-huh. they're so wildly different <laughs> yeah. that there's no reason to choose. Just just love it all.
3: Yeah. I mean, they're not that different. It's it's, it's still crunchy fried chicken. But uh, in Korea, they double fry it. Right. Uh, so they fry it. Well, they fry it once and then they fry it again. So it's going <laughs> to <Not> be... Not once, <laughs> not
0: twice, but thrice.
3: It's going to be extra crunchy. Uh, and then they have a, you know, they're known for this sticky, spicy glaze that's on it. So... Like Korean sticky fried chicken is really, really great. I love it. It's one of my favorite preparations. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people think that when American troops were stationed there after the end of the Korean War, uh, they may have introduced locals there, and then they built on that on their own to, to sort of make it their own.
0: Which, which actually that might be true because apparently prior to American o- occupation, they would steam their chicken. That's how they prepared it typically.
3: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Which is the opposite of crunchy.
0: It really is.
3: That's worse than boiled. Boiled.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I I was wondering that too, um, because I knew the steam part was coming back when we were talking about boiled chicken, and Mm -hmm. I wondered which is worse. I think boiled is still worse.
3: Yeah, I'm like, when your dog has an upset tummy, you give them boiled chicken.
0: Oh, I hadn't thought about that. And white rice. Boiled chicken can be good if you're making like chicken salad. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah, I just forgot. I forgot about that. I was just thinking of like throwing like, whole chicken breasts and bones and everything in a pot and boiling nice. it. Well, That knows? sounds awful.
3: Yeah, I mean, none of it is very appealing to me after you've had fried chicken, that crispy brown goodness uh, that Korea is so good at. They, um, I think in the 97 uh, Asian financial crisis, mm-hmm. a lot of people went into business for themselves, opened up their own little mom and pop's chicken.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, I know beer and fried chicken is a very famous combo in South Korea.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Great combo in America, too.
0: Yeah. And I think now there was a, a study um, in 2019 that found there were 87,000 fried chicken restaurants in South Korea. Wow. And that's three and a half times the number of Kentucky fried chickens in the entire world. Wow. That's that. Yeah, South Koreans love their fried chicken. But what's interesting is that um, another survey found that they don't actually consider it to be a Korean dish, even right. though they put such a spin on it that everyone outside of the world considers that particular kind of fried chicken Korean fried chicken. Apparently, in Korea, they South Korea, I should say, they don't they don't consider that. No word on what North Korea thinks about it. <laughs> uh,
3: there, there, there are some chains from uh, Korea that are open now in America, one of which I haven't tried yet, but there is one in Atlanta. I just have to drive a bit. There's one called Bonchon.
0: Oh, yeah? Where uh, is
3: it? I think it's in Fayetteville, which is I think it's,
0: oh, a is drive. south of Atlanta. Somebody didn't do their um, market research first. <laughs> uh,
3: and then there's one called Mom's Touch Chicken, which uh, <laughs> is just now arriving in America. Uh, and I think we should take our last break now. Yay? Okay. Sure, yay. And we'll talk about some more variations on fried chicken, because why not?
0: Stuxnet. Oops. Stuxnet. Say one more time. Stuxnet. I don't know. That you is. know it's Stuxnet. Is that in this? Stuxnet. Stuxnet. It's a great name. Yeah, quit. Whoever Stuxnet. That's the name of it. <laughs> I know. It's a great name. <laughs> all right. Stuxnet with an, <laughs> with an X. <laughs> so, Chuck, when we go to Nashville, let's just go ahead and say it. There's a really good chance we're going to do a show in Nashville this year.
3: Mm-hmm. I was just Next in Nashville week. uh, last weekend.
0: Oh, yeah. Did you go to uh, Prince's Barbecue Chicken Shack?
3: No. I went to the Stevie Nicks concert, but uh, had a great time. <laughs> and I was like, Nashville just needs to be on my list because it's, it's drivable and, like, it's a fun weekend. And they've got hot chicken. We have it yes. here, too, but they, it originated there.
0: Yeah, hot chicken's everywhere now. But, yeah, it, there is a guy named Thornton Prince III who, in 1945, opened uh, um, Prince's Barbecue Chicken Shack. I think they call it Prince's Hot Chicken Shack now, I believe. But essentially, every version of hot chicken that is out, everywhere from KFC to Dave's Hot Chicken to all the little, like, hot chicken operations that are just going crazy. And for good reason. Hot mm-hmm. chicken is really, really good. Um, it all started in Hadley Park neighborhood of Nashville, thanks to Thornton Prince III.
3: Yeah, I don't love hot chicken.
0: Uh, oh, I love it, man. It's here, so greasy, nasty. It's so good. It
3: is. Uh, one reason is because I don't, like, I'm developing more of a tolerance for good heat here in my 50s because uh, mm-hmm. I've generally avoided heat, but the it depends on the kind of heat. Cayenne heat, which is the heat that is generally made to for the hot chicken, is yeah. is one that kind of burns me more than is satisfying to me. I gotcha. you. Uh, and, and, and it's, trust me, it's, Fried chicken is one of the reasons I am so out of shape, but uh, hot chicken is even worse because of, like <laughs> they dunk it in in hot oil after they fried it yep. and just sort of shake it out. So yep. it is doubly uh, bad for you.
0: Yeah, the thing about researching this, Chuck, is I was like, there's so much good fried chicken to eat. I know. That if you're just selective, if you're just choosy uh-huh. and you just go to some place like Prince's or you just go to like yeah. like the best Korean fried chicken place in your town uh-huh. um, or you just – you know, build a time machine and go back and eat some of Opal Bryant's fried chicken. Yeah. Like, you're not going to be able to eat it all that often. It'll become a delicacy, which I think it mm. should be treated as because it is really, <laughs> really bad for you if it's done right. And then if it's, if it's done in any kind of way that's approaching healthy, it's not being done right. And it's probably not that good. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's really bad for you. But I think if you just treat anything in moderation like that, you can, you can have it and enjoy it. That's my problem. <laughs> what moderation
3: for fried chicken i know i get, I get it's the same like same problem. A, i buddy. treat it as a regular just like this is just what you eat i, w- <laughs> okay. I was i was raised on fried chicken i love uh-huh. it so much but i do i do need to and in theory you would uh you would enjoy it more and be like hey i haven't had i'm having my fried chicken for the month and i'm really sure, gonna savor it and enjoy it
0: you don't even have to do it like that you could just be like i i want fried chicken but instead of like Hopping on over to Kroger and getting it at the drop of a hat. Right. If you make it so you have to drive to like a really good place, yeah, you'll yeah. have it less probably. No, yeah. I, I don't know how this ended up. This episode ended up in <laughs> me giving you health advice because I'm not really the person you should be listening to about that. But yeah, here we are. Uh, yeah,
3: I know. It is what it is. I'm working on it. There you um, go. It is what it is, man. Polio Campero is something we ate in Guatemala. Uh, and now they have those in the United States. There's one on Buford Highway and that is fried chicken with an adobo rub which is mm-hmm. delicious.
0: Yeah, by the way Chuck, uh, two things. I was such a dummy that when we went to Guatemala with Coed, I thought, "Oh, the American chain has infiltrated Guatemala. There's pollo comparo here." <laughs> I didn't realize the opposite had happened Yeah. because it's been it was around in Guatemala starting in 1971. And then secondly, I also want to direct people to our ongoing Coed pledge drive to get to a million um, you can go to cooperativeforeducation.org/sysk and donate. How about that? I love it. I just saw the opportunity and I jumped on. It. I pounced on it.
3: Yeah, take that twelve bucks that you would get for your third fried chicken meal of the week. Yeah, Chuck, and donate it to Coed. <laughs> <laughs> can That's
0: we talk hilarious. about? Do you ch- really <laughs> wait? Wait. Do you really eat fried chicken three times a week?
3: Well, it, <laughs> it depends on what you're talking. You Chuck, know, Chuck. <laughs> I want to live your life, man. <laughs> I mean, if you're talking about just like you know, a few chicken fingers here and there? Mm-hmm. Or are you talking about, like, a full, full like, like fried, fried, chicken bone-in fried chicken meal? Yeah. No, yeah, no, no, yeah. no that, that's not three times a week.
0: Oh, but, but if any you're including chicken. <laughs> chicken fingers, no, 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 that's not the same thing. All right. Yeah, fried chicken is, no, that's not the same thing.
3: Yeah, it's the bone that makes it unhealthy.
0: <laughs>
3: right, exactly.
0: <laughs> Eureka!
3: Uh, we should talk about chicken and waffles because that is a great food combination. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I lived in LA, Roscoe's was a place that I would love to go and take people uh, from out of town who hadn't had chicken and waffles yet. It's become kind of a sort of a trendy brunch thing, but uh, it's been around for longer than I thought, right?
0: Yeah. uh, It's been around since at least the thirties with Wells Supper Club in Harlem Uh, introducing a a lot of the world to it. But I think it's gone back even further than that. But the question of whether it's Southern or not seems to be at issue. And if you ask um, a lot of Southerners, they'll be like, no, this is not a Southern dish. But they think that black migrants from the South showing up in New York and L.A. were the ones that developed it. So it's still got a link to the South. Mm -hmm. It's just not necessarily a Southern dish. Yeah. did you ever eat at Gladys Knight's House of Chicken and Waffles?
3: No, because I was living away at the time when it was open.
0: It was it was open until 2017.
3: Oh, in Atlanta? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought it went away before that.
0: No, it was open until then. I looked it up because I wanted to make sure I I remembered correctly that it wasn't there anymore, and it's okay. not, unfortunately.
3: Well, I missed out. Sorry, Gladys.
0: It's a, okay. It's a great <laughs>
3: joke. It's amazing she had such a great singing voice when she spoke like that.
0: <laughs> I know. Well, she was saving her voice for singing.
3: Uh and geez, I hate to go off track again but since we mentioned her I do need to mention that my favorite backing vocals of all time uh was The Pips on Midnight Train to Georgia. Really? That the uh, that, if you just listen to the background singers in that song just uh-huh. gorgeous, beautiful.
0: Another thing you can do is go listen to David Lee Roth singing without the music. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really something to listen to as well.
3: Yeah, those are good. Or the or any music video without the music is
0: always fun too. Yeah. And especially when, like, you can hear their shoes squeaking yeah. and everything.
3: <laughs> the, the sneaker squeak is the best. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, um, Chuck, if you were alive and on social media in 2021, mm-hmm. 2019 to 2021, there is basically no way you weren't aware of what's come to be known as the Chicken Sandwich Wars.
3: Yeah, it was a big deal. Um <laughs> there's a a gentleman named Truett Cathy who founded a a restaurant called Mm Chick-fil-A and uh, claimed to be the first uh, maker of the chicken sandwich in the 1960s. Uh, We have, you know, literal proof that what he really meant to say was, I'm the first white man to sell chicken sandwiches in a restaurant. Right. uh, Because there had been chicken sandwiches going back to the 1930s um, in places like Topeka, Kansas. Uh, In Ebony Magazine, there were... uh, they were talking about the dish. Uh, so it's been around for a long time. True or Kathy did not invent the chicken sandwich. And they need to stop saying that. But Chick-fil-A. Oh, I don't
0: think they're gonna stop saying <laughs> that anytime soon.
3: Uh, but Chick fil A is very famous for their chicken fried chicken sandwich with the butter bun with pickles. And it's very good. Uh, so all of the all of the other fast food joints, I think, beginning with Popeye, said, Yeah, wait a minute, like some of us are selling chicken sandwiches, but we should kind of just do what they're doing. And the chicken wars started, chicken sandwich wars.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, it somehow it started with, like, some subtweets and shade being thrown on social media and people clapping back. And between August of 2019, when I believe Popeye's debuted their chicken sandwich, mm-hmm. in February 2021, okay, less than two years, mm-hmm. 18 national and regional chains debuted or upgraded their chicken wow. sandwiches Holy in cow. just that short amount of time and that's the reason why again is that's why it's become known as the chicken sandwich wars and i was reading about it i read one of the most corporate buzz speaky articles i've ever read in my life mm-hmm. about the phenomenon of the chicken sandwich wars and this one executives, they call them quick service restaurants now, not fast food restaurants. Right. But This one QSR executive explained that um, chicken has a longer innovation runway than <laughs> things like burgers, <laughs> that basically burgers have been done to death. There's nothing uh-huh. more you can do with the burger they've yeah, been yeah. trying. But chicken, it's wide open. But then this, I think it was a hype beast article said at the end, like, well, if the innovation runway is so long... Basically, everybody's just coming out with their own version of the exact same sandwich. And are we really innovating at this point? And I I think they ultimately said, well, if that's what the people want, give them what they want.
3: Yeah, I I do agree, though. I hate the longer runway corporate speak, but you can do a lot of things with a chicken breast. And it's usually breast that's uh, being made for the sandwich. Good point. You know, you can have, like, a a honey soy glaze, or you can have, like, a sriracha thing, or you can have it fully buffalo hot. Uh, You can throw some cheese and bacon on there. You can add lettuce and tomato. Like, there are a lot of, uh, I think, more variations on what you can do. So, I would agree with that.
0: Yeah. And speaking of hot, I meant to tell you Prince's menu includes a light mild. So, not even mild, light mild. So, they've got something for you too, Chuck. Yeah, and speaking
3: of hot, I also want to mention that cold fried chicken is even better.
0: Yeah, it That's is really preference. good. Yep, for sure, it travels well. It travels um, very well. Yeah. So uh, the chicken wars are still pretty much going on. They're probably going to be going on for a long time. But I think it's turned into more of a cold war than the hot war it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Olivia helped us with this. I don't. I don't know if you if we mentioned it or not. But um, we really can't finish this episode without talking a little bit about the science. Like, why fried chicken is so good? Because if you stop and think about it, it is an incredibly simple dish. You just take some chicken, you dip it in some sort of flour-based mixture, um, you put it in hot oil, and then you eat it. That's really all there <laughs> is to it.
3: Yeah, it can be that simple. Uh, and that is a very simple, like, dry fry preparation. Right. Uh, the Sort of the lighter, the flour, for me, the better. Um, but you can you can brine it overnight. Uh, that is a really, really great way to make it super juicy. Um, I don't think he listens to the show, but I'm a big uh, proponent and follower of uh, Kenji Lopez-Alt. Um, great Instagram page and just seems like a good guy. And he's uh, I think he's buddies with uh, John Hodgman and Jesse Thorne and appears mm-hmm. on their show. So mm-hmm. uh, shouting out Kenji Lopez-Alt because he always breaks down food science in a way that's like, Really cool. Like, hey, here's why, like, the reasons behind the fried chicken or the chocolate chip cookie. And here's what's actually happening and why I say to prepare or why people recommend you prepare things a certain way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in this case, um, Kenji Lopez-Alt says, you know, you can add garlic and hot sauce. You can add dill. But really brining it is one of the big keys uh, because you want to get that salt going in like in a cellular way.
0: Yeah, remember our old friend homeostasis? I do. So when you dip a bird or soak a bird in brine, which is at least one tablespoon per one cup of water, that's a a basic salt brine, Mm -hmm. um, the salt concentration outside of the bird's cells is higher than the concentration inside the bird's cells. So the stuff outside migrates inside. And in doing so, it actually allows it to draw in more water because when you're frying chicken... It's actually, and by the way, remember our Super Stuff Guide to the Economy and that one economist is like, chicken.
3: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I do remember that.
0: (laughs) Every time I say chicken ever since then, I I always think of him. Uh But um, when you fry chicken, it's it's a very dehydrating process because you're cooking it in oil that's really efficient at transferring the heat. And so, when you add um, that much more water, that ability to hold water, you you lose a bunch, but you still retain a bunch, which makes for juicy, juicy chicken.
3: Yeah, and it also, like, helps break down the proteins in the muscles, and breaking down those fibers is going to make it more tender. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all just going to make it more delicious. Uh, that's why you brine your turkey before Thanksgiving, uh, since we're shouting out books, uh, J. Kenji Lopez Alt has written quite a few, but had one out this year um, called The Walk uh, Recipes and Techniques, where he just basically sings the praises of the walk. And it's like you can do so many things in a walk, and it's not just about making a stir fry. So uh, check out The Walk. Good, good book to have on your shelf.
0: And also check out um, the this. He was interviewed um, in an article in Inverse. Um, talking about the science of fried chicken. And the author does a really good job of um, tracing their own journey and trying fried chicken and gives a lot of great tips. Because it's a really, as simple as it is, it's a very intricate process that you can screw up really fast. Yeah. If you let your oil get too hot, if you let the chicken brown too long, if you use the wrong kind of seasonings, there's you want to do some research first before you try it. But if you do it just right, it comes out like Chuck will be knocking on your door if you do it right.
3: Yeah, uh, that author is Eric Decker, so you can also look at Eric Decker's recipes. Uh, you got to use the right kind of oil. Different people have different things to say about oils, but you want to have a high smoke point. Um, So, you know, everything from beef and duck fat to peanut oil to safflower uh, safflower oil is recommended. Mm -hmm. And just experiment with it. Get in there and try to skillet. Deep frying really, I mean, it's all going to be messy. It's all going to stink your kitchen up. Yeah, it's it's just a it's a lot to undertake. But um, that's why I don't really make it at home that much anymore. Yeah, uh, but it's good stuff. I love there's it.
0: A, I love it. There's a couple of things you could invest in just real quick that are fairly cheap. One is a um, grease splattering cover. Yeah, yeah, I got one of those. It's like a little screen. It works oh, yeah. really well, doesn't it? It's just cleaning it is gross. And then the other thing is a candy thermometer. You can get them for very cheap, and you want to. Basically get the oil to a very specific temperature when you're frying and keep it at that temperature as much as possible. Yeah. Okay, that's it. And then go forth and make fried chicken. How about that? Yeah, just don't bread it too much. There you go. Wise words from Chuck. (laughs) Uh, And since I said that, everybody, of course, it's time for Listener Mail.
3: Uh, Hey guys, long time listener, first time writer in or want to chime in and let you know how much your show means to me. Uh, I'm a 90s kid turned dad and I always find your show's delivery well cared for as well as your constant vigilance to remain as unbiased as possible when presenting a topic. Uh, I have a young son. I always try to set a good example uh, for as well as encouraging exploration of the world around him and I find Chuck's candidness about the ups and downs of raising his daughter particularly helpful in my day to day nice anyway guys i'm a city planner for a city in florida and as a public sector government employee in the heart of the sub-south i consistently find myself gritting my teeth dealing with every flavor of quote florida man and listening to your show always revives my sanity after a tough day at work as an urban planner i found that your shows about urban planning central park the world's fair have been my favorite go-to's your more recent shows on license plates and vasectomies helped spur my to-do list of both renewing my registration and uh you know the other thing too uh last thing very happy to hear that you guys are getting back on the road any chance for a central florida show in the future oh my thanks for everything you do still trying to get my wife on uh, in on the worst kept secret in podcasting but one day i'll get to her cheers that is from mike l and uh mike in addition to talking about nashville i think we're probably gonna want to try another orlando show this year right yeah, why not? Let's do it. Orlando's a great town. Yeah, so I think we're, we're going to try and make one of our little swings. Uh, hometown show in Atlanta and Orlando uh, for Josh and then Nashville, because
0: it's close. And we've never been there. Nashville for Princess. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> uh, was that Mike? It was Mike L. Mike L. Okay, thanks a lot, Mike. That was a great email. Thank you for that. And we're glad we can help you keep your sanity. Uh, and if you want to be like Mike L. and get in touch with us, you can wrap it up in an email, spank it on the bottom, and send it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com.
1: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Radio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.